everyone. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon. Hope you've had a fantastic week. Hard to believe it's already Friday, but here we are. I'm Jody Heiss, your host on Fridays, and welcome to this edition of Washington Watch. I am extremely honored to be with you, and thank you so much for entrusting this, your time, with us as we're bringing you the key news items from a Christian worldview perspective. Let me give you the highlights of what we'll be discussing today. The name Robert L. Peters. It appears maybe the president, vice president at the time, Biden, used that as an alias for business dealings throughout his time as vice president. This is something we've been talking about for a long time. The Democrats and their friends in the media try to say there's no connection to Joe Biden. Every day there's more connections. And I think these emails today are consistent with the timeline that shows exactly what the real quid pro quo was in Ukraine. It was Joe Biden, not Donald Trump. Well, that was House Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer yesterday on Fox Hannity. Uh, Congressman Comer has requested the National Archives for files to further his committee's investigation. We'll be talking about this uh, with Congressman Nathaniel Moran here in just a few moments. And speaking of disregard for the law, policies from the left have sowed crime and chaos throughout American cities with dramatic increase since the summer of 2020. Well, what are the solutions to all the crime? Bishop E.W. Jackson, who is a politician, a minister, and a lawyer, will be joining me shortly to discuss that. And probably not many of you know this, but Armenia became the world's first formal Christian nation in AD 301. But today, Christians in that region of the world are facing immense persecution as a military blockade threatens to starve them out. We're deeply troubled by the closure of the Lachin Corridor, which has cut off access to essential goods and exacerbated the humanitarian situation. Access to food, medicine, baby formula, and energy should never be held hostage. That was U.S. Representative to the United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield speaking at an emergency U.N. Secre uh, Security Council briefing on Wednesday. And former U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, will be joining me to discuss the crisis that's in unfolding in Armenia and how we all need to be so supporting and praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. And it's that time of the year again when students are returning to school. Well, Fairfax, Fairfax County, Virginia, which is the largest school district in Virginia, has now become the third district north of Richmond to defy Governor Glenn Youngkin's common sense guidelines for gender identity and parental rights. So we'll be discussing about this and uh, wrapping up an incredible week on Washington Watch covering the educational beat so we've got a lot to unfold for you this evening. Again, glad to have you joining us. And just by way of reminder, if you miss any portion of today's program, or if you'd like archives of previous programs, you can always catch it at our website, TonyPerkins.com. That's TonyPerkins.com. And of course, there's tons of resources available there for you. So whether you miss the program or not, we encourage you to check it out and take advantage of the resources. 
All right, let's jump into the program for today. Yesterday, House Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer requested the National Archives to hand over any communications that document President Biden's using an alias for business during his time as vice president. And among some of the names that allegedly he used is Robert L. Peters. And this seems to fit a pattern of behavior from the president. As House Oversight Committee complies, uh, compiles all sorts of evidence, uh, President Biden had a lot more involvement with his son's business affairs than he's admitted. So what possible innocent explanation could there be for this biz business alias name? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Nathaniel Moran. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee and the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Committee on Education and Workforce. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Moran, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Jody, it's always great to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, listen, this is a hot potato right now. What a potential bombshell as Chevron Comer and the Oversight Committee continues to uncover this condemning evidence of the president's involvement with his son's business uh, when he's been claiming all along that he had no involvement. What's your reaction to the latest development here? Well, I'm so glad that we have uh, Chairman Comer and also Chairman Jordan at the helm pushing, uh, and add Jason Smith to that on the Ways and Means Committee, pushing for answers, building a case. As a lawyer and as a judge, I can say I've seen many cases developed over the years, and sometimes it takes time. But what, what happens when people begin to tell lies is over time, as you discover more evidence, you begin to put that squeeze on them and you back them into a corner where it is quite evident on multiple occasions that the lies are being told left and right. Here, I don't know what to call the president anymore. Do we call him Robert Peters or Robin Moore, uh, Ware or do we call him J.R.B. Ware? There's, there's so many names now out there that um, Chairman Comer is having to go after. But I got to applaud him. And, I, and I'll tell you, and the American people should be rest assured in the fact that we have great leadership in these positions for oversight and accountability and for judiciary and ways and means where we are systematically building a case. It's not a politicization of an issue. It's not going after somebody because they're on the other side of a, of a political party. That's not the case. We're holding up the legal standard and saying, apply the facts to the legal standard and you'll see that the law has been violated here and we want answers. Yeah, Congressman, I think that is an excellent point as we have been covering this throughout. Uh, you have, and, and you're right, there's tremendous leadership right now coming from the Republican uh, chairman, of, of, but not just the chairman, it's the members of those committees like yourself who, who are heavily involved in pushing this forward. And uh, there is a systematic approach. I feel confident that you're going to get to the bottom of this. And it seems to me that some Democrats are aware, too, that you're going to get to the bottom of this. I noticed today that White House counsel Stuart Dellery is making plans to leave that position in the White House. Do you think it's perhaps because he smells smoke in the, the White House, so to speak? Well, when I read that story, I couldn't help but thinking about that frog that's in that pot of water that all of a sudden starts getting a little hotter and a little hotter. And the frog naturally wants to jump out and get away from that boiling water before it gets too hot. And frankly, I think that's what's going on here. I think that 
uh, counsel for the president realizes things are fixing to get really bad really quickly. And again, it's not because of any political uh, a pursuit of the president because he's a Democrat and we have Republicans in charge of the House. It is because the rule of law must mean something in this country. And it does mean something to Republicans across the board who say, you know what, we need to go through this. We need to develop the facts. We're not going to rush to judgment. But these facts are becoming overwhelming day after day, and they're building on one another. Absolutely. And, you know, when the rule of law is ignored at the top, it has a rippling effect all across the country, and we're certainly watching that. In fact, we're going to be dealing with the rising crime all across the country. And I can't help but believe that many people look at what's happening to the top uh, of our, our country and leaders at the top, and basically with the attitude, if they break the law, then we can too kind of thing. So you're exactly right uh, as you put that forward. Let me, if I can, Congressman Moran, switch gears with you a little bit as uh, you also serve on the Judiciary Committee and that committee chairman, as you mentioned, Jim Jordan. Uh, but he recently subpoenaed the DOJ and the FBI for documents related to their work with big tech to censor the First Amendment protected content of, uh, of, of the American citizens. What, what do you expect to happen with this as things go forward? Well, you're going to see more of what was exposed in Judge Doty's opinion. I think it's in the Western District of Louisiana about a month ago or so. Or it was on 4th of July, actually, which was very apropos. He issued a preliminary injunction in that Missouri versus Biden case. And it was very interesting because as a federal judge, he took more than 100 pages to go through and systematically set out all of the violations that had occurred that provide a substantive basis to tell the president and the executive branch, you cannot communicate with social media on, on these issues. Because going back in the past couple of years, it was quite clear. They wanted to put the crimp down on voices of opposition out there by the American people on social media platforms, and the White House was not shy about reaching out to uh, Facebook or Twitter or whomever to say, we don't like that post, we don't like that thread, we need you to do something about it. And as I read through that opinion, it just, I tell you what, it, it, it made my skin crawl because that is the very essence of chilling the First Amendment. We had an executive from the very top and his and his staff telling social media to, to stop uh, free speech on their platforms because they didn't like the opinions. They didn't like the content. That's the very essence, and the very heart of the First Amendment. So uh, I think as we, as Chairman Jordan pushes forward on this, uh, we're going to see even more of that. We're going to see more of what we saw in the Twitter files uh, that were turned over after Elon Musk took over. We're going to see more of uh, the blatant examples of the administration coming down hard on those that disagree with them. And that shouldn't happen either from a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it is so chilling. I mean, when you think about something like the First Amendment uh, under direct attack like this, it really is, it's mind-boggling. It consists of the type of things that none, none of us ever dreamed we would see in America. But also, if I can go further with some of the issues you're dealing with in the Judiciary Committee, the Federal Trade Commission may have allegedly at least destroyed documents that your committee has been seeking. Are we, are we seeing a pattern here that when they see smoke uh, in order to have the fire, they just destroy documents, they destroy evidence? What's, what's going on here with that situation? 
Very concerning to the FTC over there. I don't know if it's a matter of cover-up or incompetence because uh, I've, I've questioned uh, Chairman Khan under oath before uh, here in the last few months. And uh, when you talk to her about what's going on in the FTC, whether or not it's trying to get rid of non-compete agreements or get rid of independent contractor uh, relationships or, or get rid of uh, franchise uh, relationships, there is a real incompetence at the FTC uh, in their behavior substantively and procedurally. And we're hearing a lot of whispers about the administration over there just not able to function on a day-to-day basis. So whether or not th- this was an act of negligence or intentionality, uh, it was wrong and we need to get to the bottom of it. Well, do you think you will get to the bottom of it? Because, you know, I, to be honest, there's a part of me that would give a sigh of relief if it's incompetence, but given the makeup of this administration and the agencies that are taking deliberate actions uh, against the, the our constitutional rights and so many other things, it, it does raise a red flag of concern. Uh, do you anticipate you'll get to the bottom of it? Well, we're going to do our best. And, and you know, um, it just takes time to build that case. I'm going to go back and say that. And I was on a teletown hall today, and my citizens, my constituents are frustrated because it seems like we can never get to the end point. And I, and I get that. I, I feel that frustration. We're doing our best to follow the rules and follow the rule of law, to hold people accountable. We, we have one-third of, of uh, one-half of one-third of the government, and we're doing the best we can. We're going to continue. What we can guarantee is we're not going to stop. We will not stop. We're going to keep pushing as hard as we can with leadership like Jamie Comer and with uh, Jim Jordan and Jason Smith at the helm. I'm confident we're going to get to some answers. Congressman Nathaniel Moran of Texas, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Keep up the great work. All right, friends, after the break, many American cities continue to slide towards lawlessness. We'll follow up and keep you informed on why right after the break. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council. An honor to be filling in for Tony, who's taking some time off, and uh, we appreciate you joining us as well. All right, yesterday, Washington, D.C. officials announced that they are going to enforce the city's juvenile curfew law in high-crime areas. Now, keep in mind, this is in Washington, where the murder rate has risen 27% just over last year. There have already, just this year alone, 80 minors have been shot in Washington, D.C. And and look, Washington is just one example that I've uh, singled out here out of many cities in our country that are seeing dramatic rise in crime and a spirit absolutely of lawlessness. And this type of thing does not just happen. It's the result of specific policies that Democrat leaders have adopted in our cities. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Bishop E.W. Jackson. He is the founder and senior pastor of the Called Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, as well as the founder and president of Stand America. Notably, he is a gospel minister with a degree from Harvard Law School. Bishop Jackson, thanks for joining me today. Great to have you. Jody, it's an honor to be on with you. Thank you for having me. Well, it is always great to see you. And uh, listen, I, you, you know this as much as anyone, what's happening here across our country. And uh, you speak out to this and other issues. You are a powerful voice to this. And look, I've singled out Washington, D.C. But to be very honest, I could have mentioned a number yeah. of major cities that are experiencing a rise in violent crime. And it's really been going on since the summer of 2020 with the whole defund the police uh, type movement. But uh, give me your your in, input. What, what do you think is behind all of the lawlessness that we're seeing? Jody, you mentioned uh, Stan, Staying True to America's National Destiny. One of the projects that we're working on is called the Forgotten Children Project. You mentioned the 80 children shot in Washington, D.C. Jody, there have been over 
100 innocent children killed, murdered in the cities of our country since 2020. We have been chronicling those children. If people go to the ForgottenChildrenProject.com, they'll see pictures of all of these children in that gallery. It's heartbreaking, Joni, and you're right. The Black community is told that the problem is racism. But as a member of the Black community, I can tell you the problem is not racism. The problem is the breakdown of the family. The problem is the breakdown of something you were alluding to earlier or one of your spots was the a sense of moral order, a sense of right and wrong with no fathers in the home to teach these young men that manhood is about responsibility, taking care of your wife, your children, uh, to going to work, to earn what you need to, to take care of your family rather than killing somebody, uh, harming somebody because you think they disrespected you. So we've got the problems are really spiritual, much, much more than they are social. But no, there's no question that we've got to address them. As you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm running for president of the United States, because I want to bring that message to the nation that we've got to turn back to God and family if we hope to have a secure future for our country. Well, Bishop, I tell you, that is the, the, the issue. There's no question in my mind of all the issues we're facing in this country. Uh, it all boils down to a spiritual problem. And until we honestly address that uh, and quit kicking God out of the public square, but, uh, you know, it, you can't have a, a real authentic understanding of morality without belief ultimately in God and that we're going to stand before him. But I look at all the, the crime. Uh, I'm sure you saw this past week. San Francisco uh, is has gotten so bad there that they're literally asking employees in the city's federal buildings, uh, they've been instructed to work from home this month uh, because of the high crime. Just stay at home. Don't even come in. How How is it tenable for a major American city to operate like this? You know, Judy, interestingly, I just got off the phone not 15 minutes ago with a friend of mine who lives in San Francisco. And he said that he and others are discussing leaving because the city, he said, it's a dystopian nightmare. There are literally people lying around all over the street. But look, let's face it. As you said it earlier, when you kick God out, when you say that there are no absolutes, there are no ultimate moral rules, I am not accountable to anyone but myself, then you, you open this up to anarchy and chaos. And that's exactly what we're seeing in San Francisco. My concern, obviously, is that this not be the, become the vision uh, that, that ends up capturing America. Uh, we want our country to be a place of safety and peace and, and prosperity and security for all. And that's going to be really coming back to the vision of our founding fathers who believe that our rights and our liberties and our, ultimately our accountability is first and foremost to our creator. Absolutely. And we, uh, people or some of our viewers were able to see some of the flash rob video that we were just showing while you were talking about some of these things. But what should some of the solutions be when we're talking about our leaders in these big cities what type of solutions should they be working on? What would you like to see take place? Short term, let's fully staff our police departments, number one, because they've been decimated by this, this, this defund and dismantle the police movement. Number two, we've got to elect prosecutors, folks, who actually believe in enforcing the law. We've got a bunch of George Soros prosecutors 
and others who are frankly inspired more by a collectivist and Marxist worldview than by our, our constitution and our Judeo-Christian values, you've got to get rid of these people and make them in, create, elect prosecutors who are actually going to enforce the law for the safety and security of law-abiding citizens in these communities. And long-term, Jody, we've got to begin to talk about how do we rebuild families. Nobody wants to talk about that because it's difficult. It's intractable. But we've got to start somewhere. We're talking about creating the, the two-parent monogamous male-female husband-wife family again and raising children in those families. That's going to be the most stabilizing thing we can do for the future of our country. Thank you, Bishop E.W. Jackson. You are a powerful voice, and we are so grateful for so many issues that you stand on so eloquently and from a Christian perspective. And we are grateful that you've taken time to join us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jody. God bless. Have a great weekend. All right, friends, I do want to tell you that this segment, by the way, has been sponsored by FRC Action, Action which we're always Honored to cooperate with them. Coming up next, Armenia was the world's first Christian nation, but now it's a region of the world that is dying due to persecution. It's an incredible story. I'll tell you more about it right after the break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Good afternoon. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and thank you for joining us. All right, the nation of Armenia. This is where the apostles Thaddeus and Bartholomew actually first took the gospel. 
It literally became the first country to officially embrace Christianity in A.D. 301. But now Christians in the enclave of uh, Artsakh uh, are surrounded by the Muslim nation, Azerbaijan, and that nation has imposed a military blockade on the road that supplies food and access literally to the outside world. Uh, so uh, medical supplies have become an issue. Food has become an issue. It's become quite an ordeal. And I don't know of anyone who knows more about this than my next guest. Joining me now to discuss this dire situation is the former U.S. Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. Ambassador Brownback, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you, sir. Hey, it's a pleasure to join you, and thank you for covering this topic. Uh, that This is one that just a lot of people don't know about, but is really a difficult and, and becoming a dire situation. Well, give us some of the background. Let's, let's go into this, uh, because you're right. Most people are not aware of what's happening there. So just kind of give us the 30,000-foot view of what's uh, some of the background and what, what's actually happening. Well, what's actually happening is you've got this kind of replay that we've seen throughout the Middle East of an ancient Christian population being strangled and run out by a radical Muslim country uh, and individuals. We've seen it throughout much of the Middle East, and now it's happening in this enclave of Artsakh. Others call it Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, that's a group of Armenian Christians. It's about 120,000 that are located there that are surrounded by Azerbaijan. Uh, they shouldn't be, but this was the divvying up of the land under Joseph Stalin. They often pitted various ethnic and religious groups against each other. And now you're seeing it just continue and being played out today as the road going in, the Lachin Corridor, is being shut off by Azerbaijan. And you got these 120,000 Christians being strangled and starved to death. And winter's going to be approaching. And um, it's something we really need to stand up. And the thing about it is, too, the United States has some leverage here to be able to change this situation on the ground. All right. So let's talk about that. What is uh, the leverage? What is the possible involvement that the U.S. has here? Uh, we sell weaponry to Azerbaijan, as does Israel. And we've got a section called 907 sanctions. They're just That's a number uh, in bad parlance in Washington, D.C. You refer to so many things by number, nobody knows what the number means. But that number actually means that we sanction Azerbaijan, and you cannot send weaponry there unless the president uh, waives those sanctions. So right now, uh, by a a pen, uh, Joe Biden uh, can stop the weaponry going in, and he can tell the Azeris, unless you open up this corridor, we will send no more U.S. weaponry into Azerbaijan. That's significant leverage. It is significant leverage. What is the potential of that leverage being utilized? It's significant if we push on the president. Uh, if people will push on their congressmen if there's a substantial Armenian community in the United States because so many of them have gotten driven out by prior genocides. There was one there 100 years ago during the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Um, if we will just push and say, Mr. President, 
no more weaponry to Azerbaijan. And we also should press our allies in Israel, no more weaponry. And then I think also on top of this, we ought to press on Turkey. They're the ones really behind this. Erdogan wants this pan-Turkish, this old Ottoman Empire reconfigured, reconstituted. He wants to take this land. And I think we ought to be telling Erdogan no, and in no uncertain terms, no. And we will use sanctions against you if you keep pressing this. Well, you know, all of this obviously requires leadership, uh, Mr. Ambassador, and I know you know this. And sometimes leadership only rises to the occasion when there's pressure placed on them. And that's where we, the people, have a, a significant amount of leverage ourselves, as you were just describing with our representatives and so forth. Uh, you, you said that winter is approaching, and so, I mean, it seems to me by that statement that it's a rather urgent time. I mean, now is the time to act. Is that correct? It is, before it gets worse. I mean, it's, it, they're already strangling them. A lot of medical supplies are in very short order. A lot of uh, foods are in very short uh, order. And then you start shutting off the natural gas, heating oil going into the region, uh, this is just going to become unlivable. Uh, and that's exactly what the Azeris want. They want the Armenians to just walk out and leave, like what has happened in so much of the Middle East, and they'll end up immigrating to the United States or to Europe because they're asylum seekers, and there is a reason for this. But at the end of the day, you've forced out yet another historic population and we really should use the leverage we have here and and no more weaponry. And, and why would we allow our weapons to be used against an ancient Christian population in the Middle East that's being forced out so they have to come to the United States? This is ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. And that's a question I have. Why why are we doing that? Our, unfortunately, our time is, is running out. But that is a question that demands an answer. Uh, why is this taking place? Thank you, Ambassador Sam Brownback. You are a great leader and a, a great man standing for truth and biblical principles. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. My honor. Take care. God bless you all. God bless you as well, my friend. All right, folks, after the break, the largest school district in Virginia has defied their governor's guidelines in order to pursue the LGBT agenda. We'll bring that story your way right after the break. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Senator Ted Budd. I just want to thank you for what you all do each and every day. Um, uh, you're digging deep on these issues. Um, you really help articulate things that uh, that help us with policy here um, and help us communicate to the folks back home that send us to Washington. So thanks for the fight that you're in and we're in it with you. Thanks so much. Senator Ted Budd from North Carolina, a great friend. He and I shared a Bible study together and a dear, dear brother in the Lord. Thank you for those comments, Senator. And for each of you, I do Join with Senator Budd in hoping you'll be able to come join us September 15th through 17th in Washington, D.C. at this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit as we celebrate 40 years of standing for faith, family, and freedom. We hope to see you there. It's only a month away, so we hope that you'll come join us and bring some with you. It's going to be an absolutely incredible event, and registration is open right now. You can find out more detail and also register at PrayVoteStand.org, PrayVoteStand.org. All right, as many of you know, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin highlighted parental rights in education as a major focus of his winning campaign in 2021. Well, Governor uh, Youngkin's Department of Education released model guidelines that school boards are required to adopt. These guidelines include common sense approach to gender identity with male and female separated spaces as appropriate. Things like parents being informed of what's going on with their children. Well, this week, the Commonwealth's largest school district, that would be Fairfax County, 
They became the third district in Virginia to say that they are going to defy the governor's model policy and instead stick with LGBTQ ideology. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Victoria Cobb, the president of the Virginia-based Family Foundation. Victoria, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Well, listen, first of all, let's just uh, go down this. I'm curious how the code in Virginia works. I mean, can Fairfax County and the other counties actually do this? Aren't they violating the law? I thought this was required. So this is such an interesting thing here in Virginia because, of course, we have code sections, but rarely have they ever said, we're going to issue guidelines, but localities shall adopt them. That's a little bit of a tongue twister, honestly, for the average school board to interpret. Um, But this started originally under our previous governor. This was their way of trying to force localities to adopt bad guidelines. And so uh, Governor Yunkin is just coming in here and updating them with good guidelines. And so it is a little tricky. We do think education should be handled by the locality as best as possible. But Governor Yunkin's model policies actually line up with our code, whereas our previous governors violated the code. And that is that in Virginia, parents have a fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their child, including their education. They, they have a right to know. And so Governor Yunkin's guidelines are consistent with the law. And so school boards really are almost in violation of our code when they choose not to adopt them. Yeah, that's what it appears to me. It, it looks like they're setting themselves up for a major legal problem if they continue to fight the, the uh, governor in this, because as you say, it's clear in, in state law. I want to play a clip for you and get your remarks. Uh, this was actually some comments that made uh, last month by a concerned mother, Jenny Gentles, at uh, a Virginia Board of Education business meeting. Play clip four, please. I just regularly claim that parents can't be trusted presuming that they will harm their children. Yet the presumption should be that parents can and should be involved in their children's lives mm-hmm. and that their children their children are loved. These parents love their children. Yeah, I mean, that's well, kind of the bottom line. Yeah, it looks, like the, exactly... it looks like the school board. Yeah, the, let me just say this, and I want your reaction. The school board is saying they know better than the parents, it seems to me. But she, give me your reaction. She is exactly on point. This is what every parent across Virginia is trying to say. Look, we want to direct the lives of our children. We want to be involved in the lives of children. No one knows better than a parent. And the idea that any school administrator, some some person is going to step between a parent and child and hide things from a parent. And that's what the old guidelines did. They really encouraged parents to deceive, I mean, schools to deceive parents. And so you sit there and wonder how we ever got in the business of thinking that some adult knows better than a parent. Yeah, I mean, that is, it seems so common sense. It's, uh, it's stunning. There are, there are some that are, that are saying there's a difference between uh, that, that, that this is just like what you just referenced, what's happened before. For example, Russell County rejecting the previous uh, policies. How does that compare with what's happening now in Fairfax County? Yeah, that's right. When the former governor issued policies, there were school boards that bucked those policies. And we encouraged them to do that because those policies violated parental rights. We actually went to court with our Founding Freedoms Law Center and tried to litigate them to say, look, 
They are illegal guidelines. They conflict with more fundamental statutes in our code. The judge threw it out because he said we weren't a school board and school boards had to have standing. And so we still um, never got to litigate that. But this this parent is saying exactly what we know. And Russell County was rejecting violating parental rights. In this case, we have Fairfax County trying to say we know better than parents. Well, Victoria, I just, uh, you know, you, you are in a major battle right now. And I just want to say thank you for standing firm. Your, your courage and your stance just in, inspires others to do the same thing. And uh, we here at FRC are extremely grateful for what you and the Family Foundation are doing. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. And ultimately, it's all about the parents who are standing up. We're just here to provide resources. So we're thrilled to do that. Keep the torch ablaze. All right, continuing the discussion of education and parental rights, what we're seeing in Virginia really is just one example of school districts that are gripped literally with LGBTQ ideology. Well, with me now to talk about this is FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon, who served at the U.S. Department of Education in the Trump administration. Meg, always great to see you. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thanks for having me back, John, uh, Jody. It's really great to see you. Well, listen, before we talk about California, New Jersey, and wherever else we want to talk about. Uh, I'm sure you just heard what uh, what we we're just talking about in Fairfax County. Uh, anything else you'd like to add about that? Well, I'll just say that um, when I, as a mom of four with kids in public school, found out that my school board was going to start, you know, letting boys in the girls' bathroom and letting children identify as the opposite sex. Um, under this, you know, fever dream that is gender identity. Um, I went to my, started going to school board meetings. I'd never been before and I started to go and, and um, I was expecting a lot of people from Washington DC to be there because it's a, you know, this is a bedroom community of the nation's capital where I live. And um, I didn't, didn't find many Washington DC groups, but who I did find there was the family foundation from Richmond, Virginia, coming to defend the rights of Virginia's parents. And um, I'll be forever grateful to them for for providing resources to us and for for understanding that this was a real problem when um, some national groups were still not really getting it. Um, you know, we are the we're the people who are on the the they talk about leading economic indicators and family groups deal with leading cultural indicators. And it's issues like this that happen at the local level that are sometimes happening there before they really get to, to Washington, D.C. And um, Absolutely. I just am, I'm a huge fan of the of theirs. So I really appreciate well, the work we that are they too. do. Yeah, we are, too, Victoria. Uh, they're all just doing a great, great job. All right. Let's go from Virginia all the way to the other side of the country, California. Uh, we have another school district over there that is now considering a policy of requiring its schools to notify parents or guardians that their child is transgender. Give us the latest on what's happening there. Right. Well, you you had Chino Valley, and we we spoke to the school board member from Chino Valley that led that char that fight to get this to get the right for parents to be notified if their child starts identifying as the opposite sex in school. Then Marita Valley followed suit, and now Orange County is considering the same. So this is spreading across the state. This. The idea that parents should know what's happening to their children in school 
is I think a pretty basic value that probably is an 80% issue in the United States, right? And um, so this is wonderful to see. It's great that it's continuing. And um, one of the great things about the guidelines in Virginia is that they define a transgender student as a student whose parent says they are transgender. And now while you and I, of course, would disagree with that whole concept, the fact is that children are coming into public schools, presenting themselves there, thinking that they are the other sex, and the school does have to deal with that. So the, wow. the Virginia policy really puts the parents in the center of things and says that the school can't do anything for the child unless the parent is going along with this from the very beginning. So this, the, wow, the, the you know, the, the cow is already out of the barn, though, in, Cal, in, in California. They just are wanting the parent to be notified if the child is being encouraged to do this in school, right? If, they, if the child is presenting this way in school. So it is really a backward situation in California and so many other states who have these kind of policies that are to affirm gender identity. Um, and that's a really yeah, important wonder, difference. It is. And you just wonder why the uh, uh, effort to keep parents uninformed about major right. issues happening with their children. It just makes no sense. So we go from Virginia to California. I, the, what, what I'm trying to illustrate here to our viewers and listeners is this type of thing is happening everywhere. And for yes. people to think that somehow this is not coming to their state or their region, it's already probably there, just not yet making uh, national attention. But New Jersey, for example, uh, the administration of Governor Phil Murphy, Murphy there is suing uh, three different school districts uh, that want to keep parents informed. So, right. I, I mean, here you, again, the government attacking the right of parents to be informed. Your, your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, and so we could have a similar situation in Virginia. Ironically, if if the attorney general of Virginia decides that he's going to make sure that these policies are enforced in Virginia, we would have a similar situation where an attorney general would be suing a school board, but it would be Fairfax County School Board who's not enforcing a policy, right? I mean, I just can't help but think, Jody, that we are going to end up in front of the Supreme Court pretty quickly here when you have these kinds of tensions playing out all over the country. And I think it's also fair to say that when we passed civil rights laws in the 60s, no one at that time envisioned the kind of scope of application of civil rights that we're seeing now across the country that are including these, you know, paraphilic sexual rights that are being attributed, uh, they're being given the same status as um, traditional civil rights law. So this is going to come to a head. And um, I, I just, it's really really weighs on me that it's the children who are caught in the crossfire in the meanwhile. They're being led into these um, these beliefs and encouraged in these beliefs that are just impossible to achieve. Um, the, it's Absolutely. the very work of childhood to inform, to form your identity, right? Every child is questioning who they are and what they're going to be when they grow up, who they're going to be. Um, and we, we know that, you know, God has a plan for each and every person. You're unique and unrepeatable, and he has a plan for your life, and it's our work to discover that plan. So this effort to confuse children is just so very, very um, disturbing, and we really need to get it resolved as quickly as possible. Absolutely, uh, because the, these are decisions that alter the entire 
trajectory of these children's lives. Uh, and, you know, it, we have terrible examples, as you've mentioned, that are taking place all across the country. But you and I know, as believers we know, God is in control. God is our anchor. He is there. Uh, and we need to remember right now, as these children are going back to school, many parents, grandparents really have no idea what their children are going to face as they go back into the classrooms. And so here we are, not only parents and grandparents and so forth, but members of the FRC community, members of the body of Christ at large. This is a time we need to be praying for these children and their families as they're returning to school. So if you can close us out here in the next couple of minutes, Meg, just uh, uh, perhaps some of the resources that we have, but more broadly, how can we be praying for these children and their families as this new school year begins? Well, you know, one of the things that um, the activists say on the other side of this issue is that the school cannot keep secrets from you as a parent if you're engaged with your child. And on the face of things, that's true. But we all know as parents, everybody's been in a family, right? We know it's complicated. It's messy. Um, God puts us there for a reason, right? So we can have that support and 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 discover ourselves and, and, and do it in a loving environment. But those environments aren't perfect. And so while every parent loves their child, every child has a bad day and so does a parent. So we need to pray for families. We need to pray for people who are put in families together that they will will make the best of that situation. Because when you are in a loving family and you're the product of a loving family, it's like a superpower. So it's a supernatural power, right? And so 30, we, 30 we need seconds, to make sure Meg, that, that that's the case. 30 so seconds. we need to pray Give for us some families. Resources. We need to what? consider running for school board. And if you're considering running for school board, you can go to, to frc.org slash schools and find our school board boot camp. Um, in your state, there's a family policy council. There'll be resources for you probably on the state websites too. And you can find all those links on our website. Outstanding. Meg Kilgannon, always great to have you. I don't know of anyone who has a better grip on the educational issue happening in our country than you. Thanks for joining us this evening. Thank you, Jody. All right, friends, hope you have a fantastic weekend. Be sure to go to church and focus on the Lord. Get others praying also for our country and for this new school year. We'll see you next week right here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.